Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We are here, guys. It is it's a Wednesday daytime, Hannah. We don't normally do this during the day. It's um, light. It is light. Well, it's not light for me because I'm in a cellar and there's no windows down here, but we're doing it because it's a special, it's an interview, it's one that we've we've wanted for years, and we've finally got it. Um <laughs> there's just I suppose two words to really say to introduce it, isn't there, Hannah? Pete, Pete Wild. Pete Wild. Um, Pete, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm good, mate. Yourselves? All yeah, the better. Not bad. Yeah, you finally, <laughs> you finally got me to cave in. We've been trying for so long, but I've finally caved in. So yeah, it must have been, it must have been in a good mood Saturday when you saw me. Chasing around the pitch, dressed as a chicken, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. running around the field as a chicken. Pete, 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 <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, um, you were in a good mood. I wasn't. To be yes. brutally honest, I wasn't at the end of it. Um, but you know, one of us had to leave happy. So it's fine. I'm used to living unhappy at the minute. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do a little bit of a, I'm not going to say a deep dive because that makes it sound serious, but a bit of a, a walkthrough of your career and what you've done, where you've been, why you've yeah. been certain places and where you are now, because it's a it's a different story to I think anyone we've ever interviewed. You've, you've not done the, the traditional football route, you know, player or agent and then moved on and, and become a manager. You've You've come from a, well, you've been the, the, the normal fan haven't you and you've you've lived yeah. that way and then you thought i'm gonna get into this i'm gonna become the best manager in league two <laughs> and here we are uh so yeah talk talk us through that then let's let's go back to the beginning now I, I think i'm right in saying oldham fan you're a, a, yeah. an oldham fan from a very very young age yeah um i have a, a question i told hannah that i was going to ask you before you came in so obviously now you you you're managing another club the yes. olden fan in you never goes away you, nope. that fan is always there so last season mm. was there an added spice for you coming up against mark hughes 
as an Oldham <laughs> fan for what happened. Because he was he he was the reason you were relegated from the Premier League, wasn't it, back in the day? Um, was there an Addy Spice one hundred percent? He ruined, I, I I hold Mark responsible for ruining my childhood solely <laughs> <laughs> as a seven year old child at Wembley. You know my dreams are going to come true. Uh, no, do you know what? It's was, funny. It's when he came in our office after the the Bradford home. So. Adam Temple, my assistant, he's a massive United fan. So you've got one of us in the room who's overjoyed that Mark Hughes is coming in for a beer with us after the game. And you've got one of us who is, uh, well, overjoyed that we'd won, but thinking, you ruined my childhood. So we're sat there, we're having a beer, as you do after the game, you talk through the game. And and then Temp says to him, um, oh, Pete's, Pete's upset with you. And Matt was like, what? What was that? Oh, I said... Mark, I'm an Oldham fan. You absolutely destroyed my childhood as a as a seven year old child at Wembley. Like the biggest occasion of uh, of Oldham. My, I mean, they've been to the League Cup final, but I was too young to go yeah. to that. Uh, so for to go to to the cup final, to the uh, FA Cup semi final, and we're winning and blah blah blah. And then Mark scores a goal like that, and and he starts talking through the story, and and Temps gets like. All fan crazy because Matt's talking about this, and I'm getting more and more disinterested by the second because <laughs> I'm thinking, "You're killing me! This is I'm reliving this. It's even worse." So, in a long-winded answer to you, mate, yes, it it was nice. I, I feel like I got some redemption for um, all those years, all those years of hate. <laughs> it that. stays with you those losses when you're little. They they really do. They do when you're an Oldham fan because we haven't. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Stockport County fan, so well, you you're all right. <laughs> We're all right. In the last thirty years, Oldham are the most unsuccessful team in the last thirty years. I'm thirty nine, so I've not, not seen anything re- remotely yeah. good. <laughs> Hopefully, it's to come though. Let's let's be like it's they're in a they're in a much better place than they have been for a long yeah. time now. Um, yeah. Especially off the field, it's just it's getting it right now, isn't it? And, yeah, and pushing forward. And that'll um, take time, like you say, you're a Stockport County fan. You you know it take these things take time. And yeah. The first the thing first thing is getting the structures behind the scene right. And Frank's and Frank and his family have done a phenomenal job to mm. get the structures right. And now the football will take time. And I obviously yeah. have lots of friends who are old and fans, and they're beside mm. themselves how we're not running away with the league. And he's like, it's gonna take time. It's gonna take time. Yeah, it will. It's not easy to run away with. Mm. No, and you need that the fan base needs to have some patience and kind of understand the journey and I think the onus there is on on Frank and the the backroom staff to communicate that and like bring people along with them understand that it's not not a quick a quick turnaround but I I know that there's a level of impatience there as there is with all football teams everybody wants everything now we live in a society I call it the the broken dishwasher society because if your dishwasher breaks these days you don't ring the handyman to fix it you buy and you buy a new one and we unfortunately yeah. live in a society that's not football's problem, it's everybody's problem, that we mm-hmm. want everything now. And if we don't get it now, then we become impatient. So I'm going to guess that both you and Hannah have dishwashers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I live in a very old house in Bradford and we don't have dishwashers. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know anyone that has a dishwasher. <laughs> it's just not a thing for us. Um so I can't really understand that one, but I yeah, I'll I'll give it you. It's fine. But I do agree. I aspire it, it, to having two. 
Well, no, because you have no. It makes sense, right? You have one that's got dirty dishes in it, and and one that's on, and then you don't end up with stuff on the side. And also, if one breaks, then you you're covered. Now you How never really. <laughs> Yeah, for the first 10 minutes of this, we're going to dishwashers, did you? There you go. Honestly, <laughs> it, yes. Yes, I did think that the beast, it goes somewhere where we never expect, because that's what happens every single time. Um, yeah, look, I do agree, though. It's, it's kind of like, a, for a lot of clubs, it's like a hire and fire thing, isn't it? It's like, right, this person comes in, can no, they get it right in the next five, six minutes? Oh. Oh. That's what happens when the club put your phone to your uh, computer. That shows that Barrow are doing well, though, doesn't it? You were saying this. When you're doing well, the phone never stops. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it is. It's like a it is a higher and fire world, is football. It's like bring someone in. Can they get it right in the first six months? If not, the fans are going to turn. And, obviously, that depends on club. But the expectations at some of these clubs are, well, they're, they're unrealistic from fans. They, they, they really are because there's a lot of work to be done to get yourself moving forward. Um, so let's let's go into your career. Let's yes. look at where you started. You weren't in football. Well, you were from 18, weren't you? You, you yeah. started as a, was it a, a coach for yeah. Oldham Council? Yes. Yes. So doing a, 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 a so uh, at 18, obviously realised I wasn't good enough to play football. And if you ever watched me play football, I was terrible. So, but I, all I was interested in was football. I was desperate to be in football. Um, but I knew that was slow building blocks and a slow process. And probably as an 18-year-old, I never thought I'd get into professional football, but hoped I could have a career coaching football and earning a living from football. So I embarked on my badges and started to, to do my badges. Um, I'd, when I left school, before I went to college, I started as an apprentice mechanic. Um, so cause I, I came from a background of obviously always seeing your parents earning money in the pubs. You always had to work. Yeah. Every half term, I was out working for one of the locals and, and helping out and getting a little bit of cash in my pocket. So I had a, I just, I just enjoyed working and, and coming from a family that we knew we, I knew I had, I had to work. So when I uh, left school, I went and did the summer as an apprentice mechanic and whether I decided which way I was going to go. Went to college uh, till 18, did started doing my level two, my badges and came out and thought, right, I want to do some coaching. Now, most coaching opportunities were in the evening. They weren't during the day, so... I had to try and find some way to earn money during the day. So I went back to being a mechanic during the day and I'd go home, get changed and and go out coaching in the community or in the schools and, and sort of trying to build up build up my uh, CV that way. Uh, and probably for the for about two or three years there, I was working for Oldham Council. I finished being a mechanic. I went to be a tree surgeon, cutting down trees, laying footpaths and doing a bit of that and going home in the evening, getting changed, going coaching. And then that sort of started to flip uh, where there was more coaching opportunities during the day. So I started to do the coaching opportunities during the day. But then my, my dad was winding down as a pub landlord. So I then started getting involved in the family business where I'd coach during the day, go home, get changed and run the, boot, run, the run the pubs in the evening for him while he went home. So then things started to flip and change. And then he'd t he, he started sort of a business of looking after pubs that maybe weren't doing well. So then he... If he committed to one uh, more than one pub, I ended up a couple of times going doing uh, doing the pubs for him and looking after pubs. I'm probably 19, 20 year old at this time, and I'm looking after pubs. Um, so I, I have had a, a rounded upbringing. I feel like the actual pub game has made me made me grow up, made me better as a person, good communicator, uh, being able to deal with people, deal with conflicts. 
I think because of that upbringing, it's been second nature. So I feel like, yes, it was an interesting upbringing, but I think all them sort of touch points have allowed me to to get to where I am today and, and hopefully be good at, at dealing with people. And that graft and that work ethic is a completely different trajectory and will give you a completely different set of life skills than someone who has maybe gone from professional football into coaching. Do you feel like you have a very different outset to the managers with that kind of traditional background? Yeah, I think I think they're completely two different balances. If you look at the people who've mm-hmm. been in professional football, I mean, they've had to earn contracts every year and, and basically mm-hmm. the CEO of their own business for, for however long they were a professional footballer. So yeah, true. They've, gone, they've gone through lots of adversity across their career and lots of uncertainty. So they're, they're, but they, they're used to being sort of, like he's afraid, CEO of their own company. So they're used to looking after number one. And, they, and all they've had to do generally across their career is look after number one, where mm-hmm. what we came from is was very much around, or you had to have a certain set or develop a certain set of skills where it, it allowed you to deal in different environments with different people, um, dealing with adults, dealing with conflicts. Uh, coming from that environment, I think, sort of taught you around well, every every penny counts and every penny and, and where every penny counts. And we were fortunate that our businesses went well, but you had people who that came into the pubs who obviously were on the breadline and, and were looking to make sure every penny counts. So you you had an appreciation of other people who, who came into the building. So mm-hmm. I used a phrase that I came from the other life and when football is all over, because it will be one day, that I have no, there's no anxiety, there's no panic, there's no... Uh, nervousness about going back to to what I used to do and uh, I'm enjoying the ride and long may it continue and I'm, I'm not hoping it, it finishes anytime soon but <laughs> yeah, I don't think it, it will yeah when it eventually does that all right I I have no qualms and going I have this thing that when I, if I, one day I want to go and work at a golf club and cut the grass and when I cut the grass I can go for a pint and that's sort of have <laughs> I seen you so yeah, there's not you don't have to deal with people, you don't have to deal with anybody. Go and cut that grass when you can go home and have this thing <laughs> when it's can, all can over. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, right? That 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 conversation, let's just say one day you find yourself out of work in football and yeah. you, you go and speak to somebody about trying to, to get something and you say, Look, I'm looking for a job. They say, Fantastic, what can you do? They say, Well, you know, I can I can manage your football team if you like. They say, Well, we don't have a football team for you to manage. And then you go, Well, how's your car doing? Well, actually, my car's running fine. Fantastic. Do you need any trees cutting down? It's such a <laughs> wide variation of jobs. Like, it's, oh, do you need me to run a pub? Like, there's yeah. not, you can't connect those four things in, in like, there's no career path that takes you from tree surgeon to mechanic to running pubs to, to being a football man. Like, they are four completely separate things. And, like, yeah, I think that's great. I mean, my car's not working at the minute, so I'm tempted. Neither is mine. Yeah, it was twenty odd years ago. I wouldn't have a clue now. <laughs> I think the thing, the biggest thing to say there, though, is that, like you say, well, all you're basically saying is, I'll turn up on time. I'm a good lad. I'll uh, I work as hard as I can. I'll communicate with people. And if you've got anything that fits that bill, then give us a shout out. Uh, I think that's what how, how I see it is that there's so many transferable skills from so many uh, yeah. facets of, of life that. If you can lead people and you can get people to to do things that you, you want a higher group to do, or you, you can get people to believe a higher purpose, then I think there's so many transferable skills out there. I've done a lot of. I ended up going back at 34 to do a master's degree, and and not been in a school for two, in a school classroom for 20 odd years. 
but I, I did a lot of it around change management and leadership. Mm-hmm. And I always feel that if you can crack leadership and change management, I don't think the actual subject knowledge matters. It's about getting people to, to move in a, in a, in a direction. I yeah. never felt more Given... inadequate as a person. Sat <laughs> 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 here like, oh, mind you, I'm only 35, so I can, I can, uh, I can, I can. I've still got some time to catch up. I might right. manage Barrow in four years' time. We can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I've got an MBA, and doing that, it's exactly, it's completely transferable. It doesn't matter. It's it's people management and um and building a team and bringing them along. With that in mind, and with your kind of all these transferable skills, do you find it easy to kind of stay in your football lane at Barrow, or do you, or or in any role, or do you kind of want to? go digging and um interfere interfere i say that but in a nice way in other things it's interesting i think the three years i had at halifax where i had an owner who's phenomenal um uh, he helped me learn when i made mistakes he helped me uh, think about my mistakes he helped me develop as a person etc cetera, etc cetera. but obviously at halifax it was a very small number of staff and, and still is today so mm-hmm. you had an opportunity to be involved in quite a, a number of situations from dealing with uh, the budget, dealing with contracts, dealing with recruitment, dealing with the youth team, dealing with bringing money in for sponsorship. There was lots of different facets that came out of the Halifax role that uh, allowed me to learn. So coming into Barrow, where we have a significantly uh, largest uh, staff pool, I, I, I know more now, so I can have an... Not, I, I try and stay in the football lane. I, I call it skirmishes and wars. Don't get involved in skirmishes, <laughs> just fight the wars. Um I think you have uh, you have an understanding of what people bring to the table, so you can like uh, I, I sort of can understand where they're coming from and understand where they maybe want to go a little bit more. And when there is difficulties, I have a greater understanding. So I think, like you're saying, I a hundred percent don't get in. One, I think one of my biggest traits is I let people do the jobs. I uh, I'm there to help you, but you've you've trained professionally to to be in this environment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm here to assist. I want it doing a certain way. But how you get to that result is up to you. You've trained in a in a particular field that gets you to that. But I want it do I want it to look like this at the end. However, you get you get to that, it's up to you. That you're the professional. So I, I sort of I am there, but I'd like to think that I understand more and I can take a step back more and sort of process things more. Now having a bigger pool of staff to work with. And I suppose for you as well, this was always the dream, wasn't it? Like to be involved in football. Like even when you were doing those other things, it was always this was your first passion. This was what you wanted to do. Um, was it? Were you 18 when you started doing your badges? Was that when it was, 18 yeah. years old? Yeah, level. so I stayed in level 2 at 18. Uh, wow. So I was doing the coaching stuff. And I think around about 22, 23, I went working for, for, the, for the Lancashire Football Association. So I was working for the FA. And then I was around sort of ex-professionals, uh, people uh, who, who tutored the courses, who tutored the, all the badges. So I then started to get my UFB licence Um but again, I was around people who could help me and I could listen, I could learn, I could uh, sharpen my skills. Um, I ended up then starting delivering the level one and level two courses. And and all them things were just allowing me to get better in, in my field. And if you look at the moment, look at the types of people that are, are getting jobs. So Scoobs has just got the Lincoln job. I know Scoobs really well. But we're now starting to get the the, the, the sort of it's not the fad is it but that what people want at the moment is time served mm-hmm. on the grass people are looking for time served yeah. on the grass and i am coming up to 21 years of coaching on the grass 
So uh, there's been a lot of mistakes around where there's been a lot of getting your hands dirty. There's been a lot of this, that, and the other. But that, that I think all them things have helped me because I thought about my coaching journey and I was a million miles away at 18 from where I am today. Um, and it's just been them little steps, them little blocks along the way and, and having a belief that, did I believe I would walk out as the older manager at 34? No, I thought I'd be a million miles away from it. But you, you, when you get them opportunities, you have to use your past experiences to try and keep you in the job. And yeah, uh, I was very lucky that that worked for me, really. So you mentioned there that the Manchester FA, you, you were, or the, was, what, was it? Manchester FA. Yeah, so it yeah. wasn't ever the Manchester FA because no. it says, right, see, Wikipedia, yeah, yeah. wrong. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. Hannah will go and we'll edit it and we'll use this <laughs> as evidence when they ask. When they edit it back, we'll use this as evidence. Um, your first kind of job within, I don't, it's not a club, but managing a team was, is it England amputees? Is that? So, yeah, I did a, I did some, well, I did a lot of grassroots stuff. Um, yeah. I then did Oldham schools. So, the, like the, the old school boys, the town teams. Mm. I did the town teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and off the back of the town teams, um, Tony Philskirk, who was a massive part of my development as the academy manager at Oldham. So, so his lad, Danny, who's still playing at Fylde now, Dan was in that team that uh, that won the County Cup. And off the back of that, Tony offered me a job in the academy at Oldham as the under-12s assistant. So I started as the under-12s assistant coach <laughs> uh, at Oldham. So I spent uh, quite a few, well, I spent uh, 12 years in the academy at Oldham working and working my way through 12s, 13s, 14s, back to 12s, 13s, 14s. And again, working around them age groups um, until I got a job, uh, until um, when I was working at the FA, a job came up at Oldham as the 12 to 16s, head of the 12 to 16s, which was a massive drop in pay, was a massive step back, but it was the first chance to get through the door of professional football full time. So whilst that was going on, I did three years as the Great Britain, Great Britain amputee manager. A fantastic, uh, two World Cups, ten countries. We travelled around, um, dealing with again dealing with adults, dealing with teams, dealing with teams away from home, preparing for tournaments, uh, coaching against teams who were obviously had a lot more funding than us, had a lot more backing than we did. We had to raise money to go to any tournament. We had we were a registered charity. They still are today. I raised to the charity, and again, it was another touch point of me dealing with teams, coaches, adults, preparing for tournaments, preparing for find, finding ways to win. Um, and again, another unbelievable experience for me to try and sort of shape who I wanted to be on and off the pitch. So while that was going on, the amputees, I was then starting my role full time at Oldham. Wow! I just the the amputees thing is that is what. Like we we knew obviously you had a different journey into football, but I I'll be brutally honest, I'd never heard of of that prior to sort of seeing yourself and and looking into who you were. And this was kind of when you were at Halifax, and it was like, wow, there's actually a and it, it came into a discussion not that long back. There was uh, someone who me and Hannah know, um, a young boy who uh, was actually having his his leg amputated, yeah. and his dream was to play football. Mm. That was it. His dream was to play football, and he immediately thought that was it you know he's, he's losing his, that's the end of it and it was actually the conversation was them no it's not that's not the end of this for you there's there is an option and i feel like for for him it gave him like a little bit of a a boost to yeah, to know yeah. that that's still there for him as well and like i think it's, it's an amazing thing to 
to actually see being available for people in those positions because you know we, we do that thing and we always say football's for everyone and that shows that it, it really is for everyone and there's there's an option and it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter if if you're at, you're not able to play you know in the premier league and and whatnot there's still an option there's still you're still able to be in and around football and you can still play and I, like i was just i've done like quite a lot of watching of videos and things and the, the, there's actually quite a, a an unexpected level of, uh, yeah, yeah, and like I, I just remember, you, you see players doing things that um, you just didn't, you wouldn't think they'd be able to, to do. Being brutally honest, like you're looking, like I, I find it amazing. I, I'm, I'm genuinely not. I want to say obsessed because that sounds yeah. strange, but like I, I find myself watching it, and then I end up like three, four hours in YouTube videos, just going, "How on earth is this? Has that just happened? How has that goal been scored?" Because I couldn't do that in a million years. And the, the, the determination by these people, it just shows how they just want to continue. They just want to play football. And like that's that's the love of the game. Isn't it? And I, I think that's why we love the lower leagues, because people play because they love the game of football. Yes, yeah, certainly. I agree with you. And I think the, thing, the funny thing with that is that Adam, my assistant, me and Adam met 20-odd years ago when he used to take the Man United disability team and I used to take the Old Athletic disability <laughs> team. And that's how actually me and Adam met. And uh, wow. in, in terms of the amputees... Adam was the head coach of the amputees uh, and done an unbelievable job. And he said, do you want to come to Dubai for six days coaching? I'm like, yeah, dead right, I do. So <laughs> I came back and two weeks later went, right, I've resigned, but I've told them that you'd be great for the job. And I was like, thanks, mate. I think you're well, still If he ever asks <laughs> again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you, ever, if you ever have someone that you need to take with you to Dubai, um, yeah. you know, or even, you know, even Skegness, just, just <laughs> anything. Um, all I think there's a charity as well, mate. Look at that, how much the charity is, is, is progressing now. They've got juniors yeah. playing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're playing across all age groups. There's a, there's a national league now. And, and that's, again, from hard work and determination of a lot of people. And me and Adam were a small part of that journey. And it's, I suppose that's that's something that you'd look back on with like a lot of pride to know that you, you were part of that. You were able to sort of help people like obtain a, a dream as such like play football because that, that for a lot of people is just what most people in this country growing up want to do they want to play football it's, it's, it's the sport isn't it um i still do i'm 35 you said you realized when you were 18 yeah that you weren't good enough to i'm 35 and i'm still not ready to admit it um i'm i'm getting to that point now uh where I'm gonna have says, to... do, you want, do you want to come have a kick about and i'm like don't enjoy playing football. I've got no interest in playing it. But I, uh, so I, I decided this year I'd take his under eights team. I don't know why I've done it, but I've oh. taken under eights team this year on a Sunday. So you can imagine what that's like, can't you? When you turn up and they double check on the side of the pitch and go. <laughs> so there's an under eights team in the yeah. in 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 sort of the Manchester area being managed yeah. by Pete Wilde on a Sunday on a Sunday morning. Imagine that. Eh? Imagine turning up to that. Wow. And there's, and there's my, my daughter plays under 11s. Right yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. He started it's off brutal. as a club. They started off the club saying, "I said right in the summer, your coaches put so much effort in. If, if they want a week off in the summer, I'll take a session, give you a week off. You do have a great job." Then I got a phone calls before <laughs> the season. Right, we put the Sunday teams together, and there's not really any dads that are suitable to the, or, or want to take the <laughs> team. Will you do it? And I was like, oh, <laughs> "Yeah, go on." Then. Is it, is it 
is it rewarding though? Is it it's back it's that rewarding side of things mm. where they're not doing it for a job, are they? They're doing it no. again for the and, and they, they just love put, to play it. They put so much effort in and they work so mm -hmm. hard. And I think that's when I come away every week and just think, well, it's worthwhile because they're great and they're so new and bubbly to because they're under eights. They're so bubbly about going and playing that why wouldn't you? Why would you not? Yeah. You just stood on the other side of the fence as a dad, so you might as well try and help them out. Yeah, I, I agree. You'd find it hard to keep your mouth shut otherwise. Well, I ended up, because of, I, I, some of the comments that come on, you can imagine. So I ended oh, up right, yeah. off of the brew. So I end up only seeing it from a distance anyway, because some of the comments wind me up. So I, I have to walk off. So being on the other side of the fence, at least I can't hear them. All I can hear is the kids yeah. having the crack. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I love that. I think that's amazing. Um, <laughs> and that, that, again, that just shows that you've just got that love of the game. It's just. It's it's quite it's infectious, isn't it? Really, like you 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 don't you see at the higher levels that there are people that are in the game for the for the money. It's it's all about the money, and then you sort of get to this level and like this is why I kind of I'm a big defender of players on social media when people are abusing. Like I, we, I fully accept criticisms. Criticisms are allowed. You you can be critical, but there's a very fine line, and like being very very. I'm very. I've defended players and had horrific arguments with people, but it's just like these people are doing it. It's a living for them. They're not making millions. You know, people saying that players are sat on contracts, things. It's like they're not. These players are going to retire at 35, 36 years old, and they've not earned millions and millions of pounds. That's not what this is. This is essentially a third, a third of their wage every single time they get paid. They've got to put aside because once they're done, they've they've yeah. got to keep going. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. I think there's a couple of things on that, mate. Uh, and no player goes out to do bad. I, I, I'm mm -hmm. million, and no player goes out to do bad. Uh, the, the, the problem they've got is that when they go out every week, there's got there's a, another 11 trying to stop them doing what they're good at. Um, so you, you, it's their I, job, too, exactly. You use the eight if you go to work 800 times, you can guarantee 400 of them are going to be rubbish. You're going to have mm. 200 of them that are bang average, and if you're lucky. You're gonna have 200 days you turn up for work, and you're you're above average in, in your job you do, and I think we all forget that. And we we the PFA are phenomenal. The PFA came in the other week and we're talking to our lads about what you're gonna do after football. And some of our lads have already are already doing degrees, know what they're gonna do. Uh, some of them have got other interests in other businesses that they're going to do, and some of them haven't got a clue, and, and that's fine. But one thing I do like about the PFA is that they're, they're actively coming out and going, right, that's what you're gonna do. Yeah. Don't, don't get to the end. Of I'm, I'm the same. I'm already looking at two or three things for when football's over. I want a succession plan. I want to know what I'm going to do next. I don't want to, to get to the end and go, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? Because we're going to have to pay the mortgage. We're going to have to keep going. So what we're going yeah. to do. So I, I think it's a massive part of, of the lower leagues. And one of the reasons probably why you, you promote the lower leagues is that it is everybody. It is real life, isn't it? It's it's yeah. it's yeah. people not detached from reality and society that maybe they are mm. at the top. It's real and passion. Back, yeah, yeah, and and that's I mean that's where it all comes from. All the frustration and you know, it's it, it's I guess essentially from from that place. In terms of you're not on Twitter. Well, not that Liam's been able no. to find you to stalk anyway. Um, how do you deal with uh, you know the kind of the criticisms that come at you from people that are not doing your job? They're you know they're not football managers. They don't have your level of expertise and experience. Um, well, that's the reason I came off Twitter. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> I, Fair. I, uh, I think it's the best thing to do. All you all you'd see now on Twitter is just the words Pete Wilde. Pete Wilde. That, is, <laughs> that is all you would see. Everywhere. My wife says this all the time, and I said I'm doing a podcast. I think for the people who keep saying my name, she went, "Ask them why they always say Pete Wilde." And then I know now. I've told her why. But the, yeah, um, I told you on Saturday. It's just yeah. funny. The, um, <laughs> So again, uh, we had Gareth Southgate come and talk on the pro license the other month, and and I'm a massive Gareth fan, and I know he gets battered, and I, don't, I can't understand why because nobody's done as well as he's done in the history of England managers. Um, he, he talked about the biggest challenge being at one with people not agreeing with you, and and I think that's nearly nearly 250 games now, which I can't believe. Uh, but I, I would say that's the biggest thing I've had to learn is to uh, just be at one with people not agreeing with you. I've got a I've got a sharp tongue and I've got a sharp temper and I can turn around at times and tell people what I think and I've I've got that in my locker I've got a snap in me that I try where possible to um to to keep that under wraps but uh, I think the birth of a twenty four hour news channel and the birth of um, Monday night football and all that which is fantastic for the game but it's a massive insight for fans who might not get that people yeah. have got a now a more sharpened opinion than they've ever had of football. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I think again. I have, I used to have my old laptop. Uh, it was a, a quote Roosevelt basically saying, "Until somebody's been in the battle with you, they can't uh, they can't comment on on you yeah. uh, and how and how you fight the battle and all them things over the years." And I, again, I openly admit I work quite closely with a psychologist, as, as I know quite a lot of managers and quite a lot of players do these days. And I can be a bigger advocate of a psychologist if I tried. Um, and they're fantastic at really sort of breaking down your thoughts and really breaking down your behaviours of, of what you need to be and how you need to go about your business. And I think the modern person, because of what society throws at these days, could all use a psychologist from, from time yeah, to time. So hopefully that's a, that's a long-winded answer in what, what you, you asked. No, but very, um, very insightful. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would snap. I couldn't afford a psychologist to take on what I have. Like <laughs> the, the amount of work that they would need. So it's just, it just, just, I just don't open that book. Um, but again, it's so, and this goes back to, to, to players and there's players on social media. They're all on it because let's be brutally honest, especially at the lower leagues. There's an, there is an ego, isn't there? There is a, there's a, if you score a goal, you want to see what the fans are talking about. You want to see the fans praising you. Um, but then at the same time, you see that bad side of it and you, you see the other side. And I feel like people do sometimes forget that these are just normal people and it affects them. It, it really does affect them. And we've we've got, um, the, there's a former Lincoln player. I think it's, it's Nathan Arnold, isn't it, Hannah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who we, we've been speaking to because we're going to do a, a mental health episode. He suffered really badly with anxiety whilst playing and like, it, it got him to a point where he couldn't enjoy games. He, they won the league or they won promotion. And on the day they won promotion with Lincoln, he he suffered with anxiety attacks in the morning. He didn't enjoy the game. He didn't he didn't enjoy the moment. And that really like you never know what someone's going through off social media and away from the football. And you know, someone might ha- might not have a great game, but like you say, no one's gone out there intentionally to not have a good game and sometimes it's just down to the other team being better prepared and and knowing how to manage you and a bit of luck as well by the way <laughs> absolutely yeah um, absolutely. i think social media i mean for it's got lots of 
fantastic points. He's got lots of tough points because ninety-five percent of the people that send things that they send would not say it to your face. Um, and and I think it's just it's brutal. I think some of the things that are said. I I, w- I always say to the players, I said I wouldn't be on social media if I were you because of, mm. uh, for every shot of dopamine that you get for a bit of praise, there is lots yeah. and lots where you you you're obviously getting not what you want and not what you you desire. Um, yeah. But we we leave, we live in a society of self gratification and we all want gratification and we all want well done. So I've got many analogies for you, but I use another analogy of the. Um, my son goes to school and if he turns up every day, he gets a certificate at the end of, end of the term. Why? It's his job. Why <laughs> yeah. get a certificate for his job? It really, really grates on me. It, it, he's got to turn up every day. That's his job, to turn up every day. So why should he get praised for it at the end of the term? So uh, uh, we, we, unfortunately, again, we're leaving a society where effort is praised. Why, why, yeah. why should effort be praised? Should be praised for doing well, not effort. So yeah, but again, I think that's the birth of social media that everybody now thinks they can take to that and yeah. and do that. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough place to be social media. I won't wish it on there. It like go to Valley Parade Saturday, mate. It's great having seventy nine thousand because you can't hear what you shout at you, but you're at Barrow or yeah. you're at Smaller Ground, you can hear every word that everybody shouts at you. And and sometimes oh, I hear some horrific stuff from away fans. Yeah. I hear some horrific friend. I'm when I'm down there and I'm stood in front of them, I hear every word and I don't take it to heart, but it's just yeah, yeah. some of the some of the things that are shouted, like just go when I come off the pitch, I'm thinking, if they're saying that to me, imagine the things that the players are hearing. And it, it must be horrific because oh. if you can get that riled up by a chicken, <laughs> imagine what happens when a player scores a goal against you. And that like it's yeah, look, seventeen and a half thousand fans is great when you're winning. Oh yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, won't, I won't say the club. But I remember coming out at half time after a, a game last year, and, and a bloke made a comment to me, stood next to his son, and I turned around and went, "You're a grown man. What are you doing? What are you doing?" And anyway, we came back to win the game, and I turned around at five o'clock, and he'd gone. I was gutted. <laughs> <laughs> right. So definitely at Bradford because we were never winning. <laughs> yeah. Us. So. Um, so to go back, go back to your career, then to sort of come back onto it, then and how you got into because we haven't even got to your actual management yet, like your oh, your, yeah. your, your, your uh, full time management here. So you said you were at Oldham for twelve yeah. years, um, yeah. and then twenty eighteen Frankie Bunn left, yeah. and you were kind of thrown in, I suppose, thrown in the deep end for, for for eight games, I believe it was, and you had yeah. a very good record. I think did that include a Fulham FA Cup oh, victory? Yeah, I, did. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, the stories are endless for this part. I mean, uh, I had obviously gone in full time. Um, Tony Fulcher left, and I was interim academy manager at the time. And on Boxing Day, I thought Frankie was doing a great job. I say this all the time. I thought Frankie Bum was doing a great job. Um, and we got a kick in at Carlisle 6 0 on Boxing Day. And me and my missus were sat in the pub, and I said, Honestly, I think we need to go home now because I can't work out who's going to take the job in the morning. It might be me here because there was nobody else. <laughs> either me or the cleaner, unless he's got somebody in mind. It was either me or the cleaner. So I was like, right, we're going to have to go home here. So then 27th, um, I went into work and took the youth team. I come back from training of the youth team in the morning and the owner finds me and says, I've been looking for you. I said, I was taking the youth team. Um, 
Right, Frankie's been uh, sacked. Would you? We take the team for the next two games. Port Vale away on the Saturday. We had a horrific record at Port Vale, and then Notts County at home on New Year's Day. Not a problem. So, being the the cheeky gob dot dot dot, I am. I said, well, if I um, if I win them too, can I have Fulham away? He went, yeah, yeah. And I think he was like, yeah, all right. I'm just <laughs> enjoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I took the initially for, for the two games over Christmas and the day before, I remember addressing the players and, and the day before we went to Port Vale, we had no analysis on Port Vale. Oh, Frankie Stafford left with him. Um, and we managed to pull some stuff together on Port Vale. Um, and we went there and won 4-1. Like I say, Holden never went at Port Vale. And we won <laughs> 4-1. And I'm like, oh my God, that, that, that was unbelievable. So we, we roll in and... And then on, on New Year's Day, I'm actually walking out of Boundary Park. And what is synonymous with that day is 28 years to the day, because my dad took me on New Year's Day, 1991, Newcastle at home. Uh, 28 years to the day, I walked out as the older manager. Unfortunately, at the time, my dad was ill and, and didn't understand what was going on. But it, it, what it, for me to do that on that day was just like, wow. And, and we, we won 2 0. And what are four days? Wow. Yeah. And, and you think, well, if it's all over now and I never manage Oldham again or I never do football management again, put a bad four days and and happy and happy go. So even like the second, we were off on the second, went in on the third and the owner pulled me and went, I am, I'm a man of my word. You've not got Fulham away on Sunday in the FA Cup. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the fear kicked in. Yeah, I mean, I saw this, but I've got a ticket for the game. I'm going on the train <laughs> with the lads to the game. I'm I'm on the I have seven from Piccadilly and we're on we're on the pop all day and we're going for it big time. Now I'm the manager. <laughs> what a week! What a, imagine I that group it. chat, lads. I can't I can't make it. Um, yeah. I'm running the thing. <laughs> yeah. So you know I said I was Who's going. Start? Yeah, I'm still going, but I'll be over the other side. Yeah, I'll meet you there. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. So they would pull them away and. Uh, I mean, Oldham have had some tough, tough times recently, and, and yeah. to be uh, walking out there four thousand old front, I honestly probably could name you by person two and a half thousand of them, four thousand that were there, and that you walked out and you was like, "Wow, this is as an Oldham fan, these are the days we all live for. We don't get yeah. many days like this." And all I kept saying to the players is, "Let's just give them, give them something to hold on to. It don't matter if we win or lose, just give them something to hold on to." And, You've got Claudio Ranieri. He, he's won the Premier League two years before with Leicester. He's the manager. Hiya, <laughs> Pete. Hey, Claudio. You okay, mate? <laughs> <laughs> so you're walking out. And, and anyway, everybody remember knows what happened. The, they went 1-0 up. Um, we, we had a plan that we were going to sit in for an hour and then have a go for the last half an hour and try and be in the game. We, we had a go for the last half an hour. We equalised uh, from the penalty. And then we had... Uh, we scored in the last minute. Our keeper saves a penalty. So Mitrovic is stood on the side of the pitch, ready to come on. And I'm looking at him going, I couldn't think anything else, but Jesus, he's a big lad. He's huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's coming on. Andre Shirler's coming on World Cup winner. I'm like, wow, this is still surreal. So uh, <laughs> Mitrovic comes on, takes the penalty, misses it. And we, we Callum Lang scores. He's obviously still playing for Wigan, scores in the last minute. And it's, it's absolute madness, unbelievable. And you then 
going into Claudio's office. I thought, there's no way I'm going without going and having a drink with him. I thought, I'm going to go and hunt him down, whether he likes it or not, I'm hunting him down. So I find Is that his beer office. or wine? Oh, I find his office and I said, oh, what will Claudio have? He said, he'll have a glass of red. I'm like, I'll have one with him. Don't drink red wine. I'll have one with him. I'm going yeah, to yeah, I'll have whatever he is. I mean, and you know what? The biggest thing I could say is, you know, when you, somebody's had enough of somebody and, and they don't want to talk to them, you fidget, don't you? Because you're trying to get rid of people. Mm. He didn't move an inch. Absolutely. He was phenomenal. Half an hour of his time. I'm, I'm, I'm question after question after question. His wife sat next to him. I'm battering him with questions and it was great. <laughs> then after half an hour, I said, I'm sorry, Claudio, I'm going to have to go. I'm on match of the day tonight, pal. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're not Claudio. You're you're out of this competition yeah. now. Um, so I'll I'll drive back to Manchester. The media lads drove me back to Manchester in a moment of the day. So if there was a I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Seven days in football. I think yeah. that was unbelievable. Seven days and something that I don't things like this. You can tell my voice. I don't get bored of talking through that conversation and that story. It's a, for a bloke that's, for that's, a, that's like a movie in itself, isn't it? That that story, that seven yeah. days is is like yeah. a it, that's a that's a Netflix special right there. Just that seven days is yeah, that's unbelievable. I think that one of my mates said to me, "You should write a book." The, the fan that became the manager. So again, when I'm yeah. skinned, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna look at this book. The fan that became a manager. The, the fanager. Very good. There, there we go. go. The manager. Yes, if, if we just remember that there, uh, just in case it happens, <laughs> Hannah, um, we've got the claim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> copyright strikes against Amazon when you're trying to sell it out. Get it off there. Um, but yeah, so you, you, you obviously, you, eight games you had at Oldham, and then you, I think you publicly said that you, you'd only been an academy manager for next I'm to still- no time. I was interim academy manager, so basically for two months, I was running the nines to first team. I ran the whole thing for two months. So, uh, as you can imagine, I'm gone by the time Paul comes in. I'm absolutely goosed. I'm in an environment that I'm not used to. I live in a town where everybody knows who you are anyway, so every time you went for a, a bite of milk or you went for a beer or anything like that, everybody was all around you. I didn't deal with it great. I was 34 year old. I didn't deal with it well and I wasn't dealing with it well, so I needed it to end quite quickly so I could go and refocus, reshape, and get me around what had gone on. So I was quite pleased Paul was coming in, really. Did you feel in your own head that then you weren't ready for it? You, you weren't prepared for that? Like, it wasn't that... I suppose when you're applying for a job, if you're going to try and work for a football club, you've got yourself ready for that. But this was never a case that it was kind of... Unfortunately, you're thrown in the deep end here. 
you didn't really consider what that would mean outside of boundary park, yeah. I suppose. There was mitigating circumstances, as we all know, and are quite public of of why. I, I I basically would say it was the job I always wanted in the circumstances I never dreamed of, and I think mm-hmm. that was what was making it difficult, and that was what was making it when we want to press the ejects really and get out of there because mm-hmm. I was finding it very difficult to to deal, to balance, to uh, deal with conflict management around what was going on around it. So uh, I needed to get out of there. Uh, yeah, I can I can understand. So before we kind of move on from, well, I don't say move on from Oldham because you ended up back as, as manager as, until the end of the season. Um, didn't work out for Paul Scholes. Mm-hmm. So Paul Scholes ended up leaving, which I always found weird that Paul Scholes got involved because he was part owner of another club, wasn't he? At the yeah, time, yeah. which I didn't, I found that really weird that he took a manager role, obviously at mm-hmm. Oldham, and yeah, he's still on solver, but it didn't work out. Paul Scholes ended up leaving um, again, a bit of a grey area. No one really understands what went on behind the scenes for for Paul to leave. You then came in and signed permanent for the end of the season. When you saw Paul go, did you know? Did you think to yourself, "Oh, they, <laughs> I'm getting that phone call again here because of what you'd done in that eight games prior." Yeah, I mean, I loved Paul because Paul was promoting the kids. I was back as academy manager, he was promoting the kids, and I thought it was great, and it was great publicity for the club. It was it was great to to try and get Oldham on the map. There were so many good things about it, but Paul left for his reasons that uh, I'm sure he, he was well within his rights to do so. Um, but yeah, I thought, here we go again. Thanks for that, mate. And I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... So yeah, but I, I made it quite clear the second time that if I was going to do it, I was going to do it my way, and we were going to we we're, were going to show it. But I think the the club had sort of lost all hope we were going to get to the playoffs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they were quite happy for me to just run it the way I'd run it, and we got to the final week of the season. We were the informed team in in the league, and one game too far, and we missed out on the playoffs on the final week of the season. So we had a real good go, but I can honestly come away from that part of it and go, well, I was allowed to go and do it our way, mine and Chris's way, and, and we we succeeded in, in trying to improve the team and move the team in the right direction. I, w- I know you're going to ask this, so I might as well say I was offered the job for the season after. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was offered the job for the season after, but I felt that, again, the mitigating circumstances that were going on behind the scenes, that it wasn't for me, and it, I didn't feel like it was... Um, well, yeah, everybody, when you're the owner of a football club, you can take it in whatever direction you want it to take it to. And if you as a manager agree with that, you stay and you sign up. If you don't, you leave. And I think that answers its own question. And so, as, as a fan, that must have been you've, there's the kind of an emotional, psychological involvement in it as well, as opposed to, you know, perhaps now when you're not quite so, well, I'm sure you are incredibly emotionally involved in Barry, <laughs> but there's not that history in the, you yeah, know, yeah. the seven-year-olds at, at Wembley. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was gutted. I was gutted. Again, I, I walked out. I didn't have a job. I didn't know where my next tenor was coming from. There was no severance paid. There was no, none of that. It was, right, what are you going to do now? You need to find something quickly to do. So, um, yeah, yeah, a strange time, but I still, to this day, 100% made the right decision. Do, do you think, uh, obviously, walking away from that, because you said, like you said, the, the owner's going to take the club whatever direction he wants, and if you agree, you stay. If you don't, you, you walk away. Yeah. Obviously, you didn't. You didn't agree or you didn't feel that that was the journey for you. Did you, looking at Oldham now, obviously Oldham dropped out of the EFL the, week, the season before last. Was that something that you felt was a possibility 
of happening with how the direction of the club was looking. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Uh, I I thought that it was um it was not going to end well. I didn't think it would end well. Yeah. Uh, we all know that even in League Two now, the EFL the finances in the EFL are, are phenomenal. In League Two, look at this year especially that the club didn't really have the finances to sustain their their league position, um, and unfortunately, we got what we got because of the the mismanagement of the football club. We won't go any further into that because none of us are wanting to open that can of worms <laughs> and get into that. Um, so you left. You said you didn't know where your next tenant was coming mm. along. Halifax come. Does how does that come about for you? Do you do you approach Halifax? Did Halifax approach you? How did you end up in the down at the Shea? Uh, about two love, weeks by before, the way, I love the Shea. Shea is great. The two weeks before the season, I mean, I didn't have a job and. Uh, Jamie Fulton, I think the manager at the time, was looking for an assistant. So um, Owen Coyle, one of my, my pals, had said that he was looking for an assistant. So I was waiting for a phone call from them about the assistant manager job. I just want to get back in football. It's an easier job. Um, and then it, it, on the Monday, it was basically he's resigned. So I just got over the chairman's number, I rang him up and said, and Pete Wilde did this last year. Uh, would you meet me? And so he gave me an interview and... Two interviews later, we got on really well. Uh, we understood where you're coming. I, I know David Buzzenworth at, at Halifax is always looking for that next young manager or that next young yeah. player that's going to propel him. He's had so much success over the years in, in doing that model. And I think I appear, uh, appealed to what he was after. Uh, the problem was I, I signed a deal nine days before the season started. I had 75% of a squad, a lot of trialists. They'd had one pre-season friendly and... Uh, I had to nine days to sort of sort it all out, for want of a better word. Um, so yeah, yeah I'm going going in the first morning, talking to some trialists, and going, right, what do you want? Where do you play? Who are you? Blah blah blah. I ended up taking three or four of them because they were good lads. <laughs> and then, wow. Come on, then we'll run with you, and then you seem all right. Let's let's have a go. Like so, because again, seventy five percent, a lot of the budget was gone because he spent it on on players for the season. So. Yeah, it was an interesting nine days, but we got up and running and end of October, we joined top of the league. So it was a great Which, start. again, we like we were looking from our perspective because it was kind of, obviously you had the COVID season that, that came along as well and there was all that to, to deal with. But like Halifax, they kind of became this team really overnight that mm -hmm. were... When you looked at the teams that were in there and team, obviously Wrexham, they had the takeover sort of yeah. just at the back end of the COVID season, wasn't it? You had Knotts uh, County had dropped down. Chesterfield were obviously a team that were... Halifax didn't have that infrastructure of one of those teams. Like you didn't look at Halifax and and feel that they... You, that, I don't want to say had the right, because obviously everyone's got the right if you do what's, what's correct, but like you wouldn't predict it. You wouldn't have predicted before a ball was kicked that Halifax were going to be causing the impact that they did and it, it was like we were watching it and I'm, I'm born and bred Halifax like I yeah. obviously support Bradford because that's where I live but I was born in Halifax I was born two minutes down the road from the Shea um, my, my my dad was a physio at Halifax back in the day yeah. so like I had that tie and uh, that's why I don't support Halifax just, just <laughs> support, I'm not supporting because of you I'm going to support Bradford um, and yeah like everyone kind of got behind it and it is you'll know from Halifax as a town it's like a, a, a successful football team can really do wonders for a, a town like Halifax and people really got behind it I remember it goes back a while but it's like I think 2007 
they they got to a, a cup final. I think it might have been like the FA Trophy or whatever. Yeah. Trophy, yeah. And it was at Leicester, wasn't it? I believe. I think so. Um, the, the game and like the, the entire town just emptied yeah. and headed down. And like people who I grew up with that have never had any interest in football were, were going to that game. And it was like, it was just surreal because it just, it kind of unites people. And football's such a powerful thing for that. Um, at what point did you know then that that was like when you first walked through that door and you saw those lads and you said they were good lads? Did you know then I've got something? something good here um, I, think, I think like I think your point's bang on in, in terms of football's about communities and, and mm. communities can revolve around lower league football clubs and especially lower league football clubs because it's a more sense of community so I think that the football clubs generally or the, the sports clubs generally at the heart of the community um, there was a massive disconnect between fans and club and players when I went there as, as there was at Oldham, as there was a Barrow. So every door I seemed to walk through, there seemed to be a massive disconnect. And I think because of the fan in me, I sort of understand the massive part around what fans can bring and, and the importance of having fans on the side. You, like you're fighting an uphill battle. Um, so I wanted to try and unite again the fans and get, get players playing a way that fans want to see, and, uh, working hard, grafting, and if you got beat, you got beat in the right way. And, uh, you, you didn't fall on your sword, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was really important. We tried to get them on the side, and it was a tough first year. That I mean, with COVID hitting as well, we started so well. There was obviously a drop off in mid-season, but we went again and managed to make the playoffs. So I think as we built through that season, there was just again a sense of a higher purpose, a sense of the underdog mentality, a siege mentality, which you've had at most football clubs that we seem to create is that. Right, we're all in this together. You need us and we need you. Let's all drive in the same direction and let's all work as one to see where it takes us. You you always have, within football clubs, people who don't come along that journey and make silly comments. And we had a few of them across that season. But um, again, we were trying to do things the right way and I was using the power of the media, using the power of uh, the press to try and drive my point and get my point across. Again, as I've done at Oldham at Barrow, is to try and drive positive messages and try and drive positivity around football clubs. And we felt we got that. But I look at football clubs in three-year cycles. Generally, year one in, in football clubs is crisis management. Is mm. You've got somebody else's players, somebody else's way of playing. You might have some two or three other players, depending on how long the managers last. So you've <laughs> got to try and get to the, the end of that first season. And you might bring in some players who are short-term. You might play a way that's short-term. But you've got to make sure you're still in a job at the end of that first season. So uh, average lifespan of managers, 14 and a half months. So for me, crisis management first year is get to the end of the first season and try and build some positivity. Then year two for me, like we are at Barrow now, is around developing a way to plan. So recruit players up to what you want and who they are. They might not be fully where you want them, but get moving in the right direction. And then year three is about implementing a plan, if you, if you still have a chance. And that's the way we worked at Halifax. So... We missed out on the playoffs on the last day of the second season, but we felt yeah. we were further down the line than we were in the first season. And we felt we had really developed and solidified a way of, of how we wanted to do things uh, and, and built the infrastructure behind the scenes. Because when we went there, they weren't training full-time. They were on the hybrid model. So in the second season, we went full-time, which mm -hmm. meant we lost some big characters and big players uh, because they, didn't want, they wanted to continue on the hybrid model. So... We then went into the third season knowing that this was our chance to implement a plan. And 
we ended up with 81 points. I could see the 11 goals at home, 17 wins at home. Best finish for 60, 70 odd years, whatever it was. Um, so we had a chance. And I think there's a lesson in there for us all in football that good things take time. Patience is required, like we said at the start of this interview. Um, but I, I just really felt that we took them on a journey and put them on the map. And Chris is doing a great yeah. job there now. FA Trophy winners last year, just on the outskirts mm-hmm. of the playoffs this year. The club now, they always say, wherever job you go to, leave it in a better place than you found it. And I can certainly sit here today and say I left it in a better place than I found it. Absolutely. So, so did it feel like a good, so given that you'd seen this three-year plan out at Halifax, was that then, right, now it's time to move, now it's time to um, move on? Did you feel like you, you couldn't, take them any further what was the what what led you to to move on there was a couple of things I mean I was so lucky across my time at Halifax I had quite a number of uh, inquiries and offers and, and people interested in what we did um I also knew that because the players had done so well there were seven or eight of them who had already agreed or were already right. going to move on we ran Halifax off the fourth stroke, fifth lowest budget in the league for the last three years. And David's put a phenomenal amount of money into the football club, regardless of what the fans tell you. He's put a phenomenal yeah. amount of money into that football club, but he's got what he's got. And I knew that when I walked through the door. Chris knows that still today, that you have to work on the budget you're given. And we managed to get them to punch above the weight. So many years on the bounce. We produced so many players that are now playing in the league and have moved on to better things that it would have been start again mode. And yeah, I would, and again, the worry was that if you go and start again, that you miss that opportunity to become an EFL manager. And I mm-hmm. was desperate to be an EFL manager. I was hoping it would be with Halifax, but yeah, I then had to think about what my options were, and I thought it was the right time to pursue one of the offers that that was on the table. Do you know what worries me about what he just said there, Hannah? All right, he spoke about a three-year plan, and he said uh-huh. year one is crisis management. In year yeah. one at Barrow, he did the double over us. <laughs> <laughs> and that was crisis um, management. Well, in fairness, at the beginning of the season, I think they were favourites for relegation. And yep. yeah. won the smallest yeah. budgets again, which obviously yeah. you're very good at managing. But, you know, finishing ninth, if that's crisis management, then, uh, yeah. well, already, the, the I mean, what are you the moment? Thing. Yeah, utilise things to your advantage. So every betting company had as like, favourites relegation. So every meeting I ever had, I just put that up every single week for 40 odd weeks. Oh, these were, oh, these are top tip for promotion today. Lads, we were we were bang on relegation. Paints its own picture, it does its own job for you. Yeah. Uh, so like we me, so much crisis management, get people on side, get that siege mentality. Everybody, everybody don't rate us. Everybody thinks we're rubbish, lads. Yeah. Just and as much as it was them. Yeah, as much as it was a miserable day and my daughter was a mascot. And when I asked her what her question would be, she said, why did people ruin my day as a mascot? <laughs> um, that that opener against Stockport County was yeah. a massive statement in terms yeah. of yeah. one of the teams that had come up. I mean, I think, you know, we, we talk a lot on, on the podcast about how um, betting odds are bonkers in League Two, and then you know yeah. it's often just based on like patterns and, and investment. But Stockport County were one of the favourites for promotion. Then you've got Barrow, and yeah, it was a massive statement winning an opener to the season. Well, again, and, had, and my I, first experience of Pete Wells fist bumps. <laughs> See again, you got Stockport County. I'd been there with Halifax, which was my last game as Halifax manager. Yes, oh, of course, yeah. And yeah, and it was ten, ten and a half thousand. It was bouncing. You go to Valley Parade yeah. and seventeen and a half thousand. Some mm-hmm. some players 
if they're lucky, get that two or three times a career or once a season. Yeah. If you can't get yourself up for games like this, oh, I actually yeah. see it as an advantage to the away side because it's a like, come on, let's go and enjoy it. Let's go and enjoy yeah. it. And if we can get them turning, oh, it'd be even better. There's nothing better than a home crowd turning and, and voicing their displeasure at the home fans because then they get nervous. It's great. Yeah. We said this on Saturday when we were talking about doing this interview. We said like there's there's players in those dressing rooms that will never play at a crowd in front of a crowd like this again. This number will be that that's it for them. That's the highest number, and mm. the, this stadium will be the biggest. And that's why teams over the years we've seen it so many times have come and they just you, it doesn't matter what they've done in the game before. It doesn't matter if they've lost three or four nil in the game before because they come in there and they. It, it's a different atmosphere. It's a completely different way of thinking. And then, you know, a lot of the time it does work in their favour. Like you say, we, it's, it's very easy to turn the fan base at, at Bradford. I think, I think everyone's kind of cottoned on to that now. They know how to do it. They, we, we, I've been very open about the, the first thing that I think anybody does if they want to turn the fans at Bradford is win that coin toss and flip the ends. And um, you did it last year. We were gutted we didn't win it this year because it's yeah. the first thing that me and now talked about on Thursday was spinning round if you can. Yeah, because you did it last season. Yeah. yeah. You span us last yeah. season and, and immediately it turned. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned Niall. I'm gonna come on to Niall soon because yeah. I've got Niall still terrifies me. Um but <laughs> I know he's a lovely man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same as stop with Cheetland. Spin him round. Get him away from the Cheetland. Yeah. It, it definitely makes a difference. Sorry, talk, talk, about, talk about the big man. Go on, go for it. Well, well he, so obviously he was at Bradford. Um, yeah. He left Bradford before before you came to Barrow, didn't he? It was the season before. Yeah. Um, there was, I mean, weirdly, he was the captain. It was a really weird three or four days for Bradford because we lost on the Saturday. I believe it may have been to Newport away. And Ollie Crankshaw, who ended up at County, um, came off of the bench and... At full time, there was a radio interview with the manager where the radio interviewer said, you know, I thought Ollie Crankshaw did well when he came off the bench and it was Derek Adams at the time. And he said, did you? I didn't. And it, that's kind of, from what we understand, is Niall's someone who stands up for his teammates and he's very, very, he's a, he's a, he's a leader of that group. And the understanding is that Niall stood up to Derek on that. And I, I think that that's great. Within three days, Niall was, was gone. Club captain, didn't put a foot wrong all season. I still maintain, I said it at full time on Saturday, I put a tweet out and said, I still think that Niall Canavan is one of the best at his position in this league. He is a mountain, he is a brick wall and he generally doesn't lose it. He still scares me as a man. Like he's a terrifying man. Um, to be fair, it, it's, it's the Bradford in him um, that's scary. Like that's, <laughs> I, I know people like Niall from Bradford and I'm like, yeah, you scare me, you. But Niall is very... I remember we we once got the footballs mixed up and I was walking off and I'd picked the ball up that he was training with and he just grabbed me on the shoulder. He was like, you've got my ball. I was like, yeah, so not a problem. <laughs> um, but like having someone like Niall Canavan in your team is, do you just, you feel so safe when the ball's going towards him? Is Because every time the ball went towards him on Saturday, I just, I felt helpless, completely helpless watching it, just knew what was going to happen. Well, I think Niall's always in control. And I think one of Niall's massive strengths is he's always in control, doesn't look flustered. He never looks like, uh, frustrated. He's an unbelievable communicator on the pitch, which for the young players around him helps them so much because he talks and organises. Um, you can hear him. You can hear him. You can help. You, you, he'll influence the game plan on the pitch was phenomenally well. 
Um, he's been supported this year with obviously Paul Farman, George Ray having the season of his life, James Chester coming in. We, we've just recruited so many uh, experienced players. There is managers out there, young managers that don't like experienced players in the dressing room because they're scared of them. Where I'm completely mm. the opposite. The, I never played football. I need experienced pros around us to help us and mm. help me and help the young lads and hold their hands on the pitch and and help them and, and tell them tell them everything will be all right, especially in these sticky months that we're we're going through now. So I want as much experience in the dressing room as possible. Now's a fantastic leader. We have a real good relationship. If things need sorting or we want things sorting, he's there, always there to help me. Uh, and I always like to say, I always feel that we're in control when Niall plays. And you look at it, it was World Diabetes Day uh, the other day, and, and Niall plays professional football with diabetes and he's very open and honest around mm. how he deals with that. And he's very uh, happy to speak to young people who, who may be like, scared that they may not be able to, to do sport or sport at a decent level because of it. So I think Niall brings so many facets on and off the pitch to the football club. Uh, he's a great person to have around the place. And he fits really nicely into our senior leadership team, of which there are four really experienced pros that we have in our senior leadership team who basically I say to him, I don't want to run your dressing room. I'm here for the big bits, but you're here to run your dressing room and, and now's the head of that. And you're still calling, causing upset. So the in the FA Cup, you beat Northampton. Although when I was reading the match reports, it's like shock win. Like, not really. I mean, Northampton haven't had the greatest starts of the season. We were all in, in League Two last year. Um, is that something that you enjoy? Do you kind of thrive on surprising and kind of surpassing expectations? Or, Constantly or, or, or being written do you off. feel like, well, yeah, or do you feel like actually you deserve to be, you know, if we're not to, yeah, it's okay, just Barry rocked up and won again. Yeah, I think the, the art of the underdog, and again, I use that word siege mentality, is fantastic. I do get our media lads and and, and our staff hunting for uh, articles that will portray us as the underdog so I can pass them around the dressing room. Um, I I think you're talking about the Northampton game. Northampton beat us up home and away last year, so we knew we had to be on it going down there. Johnson, a great job down there, and then I'm sure they'll, they'll find the feet in when they get their injuries back and they won on Saturday. Um, I've got a horrific record in the FA Cup since Fulham. I think I've won two games in five years. I've been beat at Kidderminster, South Shields, drew away at Pontefract Collieries. So my uh, I used all my luck in the FA Cup five years ago. So um, to go actually win an FA Cup game was I was over the moon last week. But it... it <laughs> Yeah, I think nine nine times out of ten, you can portray Barrow as the underdog. I can spin a yarn to the players that we are the underdog nine times out of ten every week. Um, some weeks I can't, and that's frustrating when I can't. But um, yeah, again, I think you've got to use you, you use where we are in the in the sort of hierarchy or pyramid uh, on and off the pitch to your advantage. And let's have it right. There's not many people want to turn up at Barrow away, is there? And that's yeah. why we. We we yeah. use that we use that to our advantage that Barrow away is, is some where we would look at Bradford away is an exciting day in the calendar. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm glad it's over, <laughs> but it's um it it, it it's um people will look at Barrow away in the calendar and think, oh my god, yeah. Barrow away. And again, we, we use that to our advantage. Yeah, and that Boxing goes, day, yeah. yeah, you've got a Boxing Day, yeah. We, it's, <laughs> but but it kind of. It shows with how the clubs run as well, because that it's not just 
fans of opposing clubs that go God, Barrow away. The club doesn't operate out of Barrow, does it? The club operates out of the Manchester area, which I, I kind of had this this down here was. Do you feel obviously all the players every single week? It's like an away game for them. It's like getting together and traveling up together to Barrow. Do you feel that that's made that bond stronger for the players? Do you feel like that's a huge advantage for you guys? Because they're closer to the families down here yeah. as well. Yeah, massively. I I, I believe uh, what is our perceived weaknesses is, is, is totally our strength. Um, mm-hmm. We we have this unique thing where we train in Manchester, um, but that allows us, as we still find our feet in the FL and try and sort of secure that Barrow are an EFL, EFL club, that we, we can recruit better players from a bigger pool of players from where we're based. And when we came in last year, they never had a training ground. So we we rented a, a training ground last year in Salford with with Ella South um, Community Club, and it was great. It was great for the players to have a base, and that's probably why we did so well last year because players felt like they had a home and had a base, and it it was all starting to come together. And you know we've moved to SC United this year, who've been unbelievable with us, fantastic tenants, can't do enough for us. But again, we've built on that now, and all the staff. We have a community room for, for the players, which is right next to the staff offices and the doors are open. Everybody's in, intertwining. Um, we have a, a hot food on offer at dinner times. And you might think they're small things, but they're, they're huge things um, in trying yeah. to attract better players to the football club and being in and around Manchester. And then on the Friday, so we play crawl at home this Saturday. Um, we'll train in Manchester on Friday morning. There'll be four or five lads that have to go straight from training and go to do the community work. Because when I, I was going to ask about that, yeah, I, I moved to Barrow. I, I asked the fans what's what's lacking, where we where we're going. I, I weirdly knew the old mayor of Barrow, so I, I tracked him down, and, and then had a had a coffee with him. And what what's lacking? And it was that sense of community because we were so mm-hmm. far away. And, and how do we sort of bridge them gaps? And we did a yeah. massive piece on trying to get into schools last year, and loads of community work on that Friday afternoon when we're up there. Um, we were gobsmacked to find that every kid in Barrow has a Barrow shirt. I mean, I walk around every, I have a walk on a Saturday morning, the buzz around the town for the sport at the mm-hmm. moment is unreal. I, I've never seen anything, even like Oldham in the Premier League days, the buzz is ridiculous around the town every Saturday morning. And it, and it's so good. There's so, there's such a, such a, a bond at the moment. I say at the moment, cause you never know how long may it continue and all that. Um, okay. um, so that community sense, we don't feel we've lost it, but then on the threat, I, I say to the players, I, as long as you're in Barrow for nine o'clock on Friday night in the hotel, then do what you want. Come go up in the afternoon and go in the, the gym or make your way up, go home, pick your kids up. I pick my lad up and then I go up about seven o'clock when the traffic's gone. But then when I get there, they're all up there. They're either watching the Friday night football. There's a, an unbelievable darts culture that we've got at the football club where everybody's <laughs> obsessed with darts at the moment and they're all playing darts. He's winning. Oh, there's some, by the way, there's some unbelievable. They're all buying their own darts. <laughs> and they're, they're all their own music. So you, Anna, let's be brutally honest. Who's the worst? Oh, I don't <laughs> know what. I think even the bad players have got better because they, oh. um, they got, they, there's darts, there's cards, the card school, there's games going off. There's just a real sort of like we use the community rooms at, at the Holiday Inn in Barrow and they're, they're um, it's great. It's great. But again, like you say, I think that's because we're together so much that yeah, yeah that's, I can that's see that. unity and one the biggest thing that I will always recruit good people number one is he a good lad 
number two is your good player. The best players won't get you out of the proverbial when you're in it. The best lads will. Yeah. And like for you, the, the, the good thing is obviously being based out of Manchester, it means, and I suppose this adds to that atmosphere and it allows players to be happier is that, you know, I'll use Canavan as a, as a perfect example. He still lives here. Yes. For him, he doesn't, ha- he didn't have to move to re and, and I think, Back when Barrow was based out of Barrow, it's being being brutally honest. There's not much up there other than Barrow. There's, there's the town, and that, that's that's pretty much it. You go for miles with nothing else, and that will put a lot of players off. Being able to stay with your family, stay local, even if you've moved to sort of the Manchester area, you're still what thirty minutes away from like over this way. You've got Manchester, you've got Leeds, you've got even as far as like Liverpool Birmingham, yeah. yeah, yeah, and down like you you kind of you've got that central hub and. I like it. Some I mentioned to you on Saturday, and I said I'm going to do this on on the on here because this is where I we get. I want to to that point as well. Is the it's the huge part. A huge part of our recruitment is I want players to live at home. I want players to be around yeah. the fans. I want to be. I think it's lazy recruitment if you go and just pick players who are from miles away from the area. We have mm-hmm. three lads in the clubhouse who are London lads. I'm not saying we recruit all north, and but we're more than eighty percent of northern. We have three young lads from London in the clubhouse. Dean Campbell moved down with his missus. Rory Feely moved over from Ireland, uh, and they're living in in around Manchester. But if I say move to Manchester, move, so Dean's living in, on Salford Quay. He's coming live on Salford Quay. Oh yeah, that sounds beautiful. They're yeah. the because they're going home every night to their families and their loved ones, and mm-hmm. I think that's a massive part of recruitment. Yeah, huge. How involved are you in recruitment generally? I think that's one of the biggest things for me. Uh, we all have our lanes, so we have. Uh, I sort of major on the opposition, on recruitment and running football club. Uh, Adam mm-hmm. will major on us, on uh, on the training round. Does it look like us? He will review with the players on did it look like us on Saturday, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I have a huge part in recruitment. I think that's one of my strengths. I I like to find players who maybe have lost the way. So Ben Whitfield, who was with yourselves, and maybe need mm-hmm. to get going again. I like to find players that I think are on the way up for the National League. I'll use Kean Spence, who came from Halifax with us, mm-hmm. um, Dean Campbells, etc. So we're looking for them types of players, or I'm looking for that person who's going to bring it all together, a uh, David Worrell, a Jamie Proctor, a James Chester, who we know have been there and done it, who can help these young lads progress. So that's one of the big things I enjoy doing is finding the next one. Can I can I ask about so when you've got players who, so you mentioned Ben, Whit- ben Whitfield there. You obviously bought ben, brought Ben Whitfield in from from Stockport. Um, I I interviewed Ben last year. I think like one of the nicest guys we've ever had the the opportunity to meet. Like on Saturday, he came straight over him and Telford, which is yeah. weird because we interviewed Telford as well, and they both came over. And what's weird is that they're both tiny. Like we knew, I knew <laughs> Telford was small. I didn't know that, that Whitfield was the same height. And yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, you could see that they had that kind of that that relationship already built up there, and they've not been together that long. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to to man management, and I'm going to use Whitfield as an example here because yeah. obviously Wits is a Bradford lad, yeah, born and raised in the area. His family still come to games. Yes, they have mm-hmm. season tickets. Like they they, they love Bradford yeah. City. On Saturday and last Saturday, last season as well, Wits was on the bench for you mm-hmm. going into the games at Bradford. How do you approach that conversation to say to someone who obviously for him there's a, there's an extra spark there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. You say, look, yeah. you're not in my first team eleven, but you're going to be involved. How do you approach? How is that side of things managed for you? Do you find that quite easy to manage, or is it? A, um, I, I, I'd be I'd be so anxious. 
Yeah, I, I, Doug, I think I've, this is the best bit I think I've got better at over the years. I don't like players going home on a Friday and me not telling them an answer. So whether they're not in the squad, whether they're not in the team, um, I try and prime. And some weeks it doesn't go my way. So some of the players might watching this going, he doesn't do that every week. I try and do it <laughs> as, as as many times as I can and give them an answer. Whether they like the answer it is irrelevant, really. It's it's giving them an answer, an honest answer, and I can get in bed Friday night and go, well, I told them the truth. And I, and I can live with that. Whether they agree or disagree is, is irrelevant, really. It's around that I've told them my honest opinion. And I, I will always finish it with, whether I'm right or wrong, it'll be born out on Saturday afternoon and it'll be me that'll have to justify that at five o'clock, whether I'm right or wrong, and I'm, I'm happy to do so. I think players just want honesty and, and good communication. Mm -hmm. I think the worst thing you can do to a player is leave them in with ambiguity or leave them not knowing. I think you've got to try and have good conversations with them. I found that harder this year because we've got a bigger squad, but I think because we've had a bigger squad this year, I've been able to pick players based on what I think the game needs, and I've been quite honest with the players about you'll find it very difficult to play every week because we need to pick the right players for the right games and there's a reason why we've gone for a bigger squad. So I have to look at what Bradford City's strengths are on Saturday, for example, and, and look who suits that role. Um, and we've done a big piece on starters and finishers. It's a rugby union thing that's, that's sort of manifested itself in football these days that there'll be a group of you that will start the game and probably have to do the majority of the, the dogged work for them. But there'll be a group of you that will come on and probably get, get the headlines because you come on and score the winner and score or, mm -hmm. or score the goal that influences the football match. Yeah. And if you use a, here's another analogy, what do you want to be in the sprint, in the relay race? Do you want to run first or do you want to run last? Um, so yeah. I, I think there's, there's all them things that you try and get across. And don't get me wrong, we're all humans and we all want to be, won't play every minute of every game. But, the modern reality of football is that unless you are a centre, a half or a defender or a goalkeeper, your chances of playing every week are probably smaller than they've ever been because of the birth of bigger squads, 50-odd game seasons. It's it's very unlikely that you're going to participate in every game. And, and I think it's been open and honest with the players that that is the, that is the modern life and the modern game. And You'll obviously have their agents and people in their ears telling them different, but the reality yeah. is we'll go to the next club and I bet your bottom dollar the same thing happens at the next club. Yeah. I think that there, you, you're right in what you've just said there because on Saturday, and I called it happening, you made the substitution. I think it was the 75th minute you made the substitution. Yeah. You brought Whitfield on and the 77th minute you scored. And it was <laughs> like, it, I said to... I said, I, my missus was with me. Obviously, you, you met my missus. Yeah. We were sat with the baby, we were chatting, and I just said, "Let's just go home." I said, "This is <laughs> I said, it's it's happening now." I said, yeah. "I guarantee you, the game's going to change at this point." And that's what you did on Saturday. Like you, you managed it perfectly and made those changes at the right point where you saw where our kind of weaknesses were forming, and you took advantage. And it literally, Hannah, it was it was two minutes bang on. <laughs> And it was infuriating because we all saw it coming. Um, That's the job then, of the manager, yeah. right, isn't it? That's the yeah, job of the absolutely. manager. We we can do so very little. We get we get blamed for everything, but we can do so little at three till five on a Saturday. Um, but the one thing you can influence is is the sitting back, the bits. What I've got better at this year. I'm not berating officials as much as I, I used to. I'm sitting down watching football <laughs> matches, um, and and I'm actually 
making better decisions along because I'm listening to the staff. The staff are the ones that are seeing more than I'm seeing. Um, and I'm listening to them and, and I think we're making better decisions and that's allowing us to use our bench. I look at our bench sat there. I was so proud of the strength on our bench sat there, of mm-hmm. how we can change it yeah, and where we can change it, that that can only help the football club. It's a, it's a, like I say, it's a team. It's not individuals, is it? It's it's mm. it's about Barrow, the club, yeah. and the team moving forward. Not necessarily one person's career being yeah. the center of it. And so, no, I I agree. I like that. I do like that approach. Mm. Um, I didn't like it on Saturday. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I hate it. And I remember I text Hannah saying, yeah. "When you scored, the the only thing I text was saying, I'm gonna have to watch those fist bumps. <laughs> <laughs> Just knew it was coming. And then like." I said it to my missus as well. She was like, well, why don't we just leave? I was like, no, I want to watch them. I said, but I don't want to watch them at the same time. Um, and <laughs> I yeah, think we, that, I, think that I get battered. I know my missus tells me I get battered on social media for the first bumps. <laughs> at the end of the day, I have no idea when the next win's coming. So I'm going to celebrate that win, every single win we ever get, like it's the last. Because yeah, you never... True ever know and I don't don't get me wrong it, it, again it shows the unity between fans and, and manager and players don't get me wrong but the honest 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 answer is that is relief at five o'clock every Saturday oh my god we've managed to win another one happy days the rest of the weekend might not be as bad yeah well, and the what, fans what, love it yeah they do they, they actually picked up on Saturday that it would this week's was a little bit different and I don't know if you know that you did this one a little bit different <laughs> Right, go Anna on. knows what I'm going to say. Yeah. So <laughs> you did your fist pumps, yeah. and then you do your your, your celebration, yeah. and then you screamed. I can't repeat it. Yeah, I know. Well, I can't repeat going. it because we're we're yeah. put, we don't we don't have a watatershed on this, but I, I won't up the bluebirds, and you could like yeah. a fan filmed it, and like immediately yeah. we got it sent, and they were like, he's he, he even screamed this this week, and it's like yeah. it's evolving. Um, it is. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And I don't normally add that, but yeah, again, that, that was just sheer elation. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was dead proud of Again, like, let's have, it, let's have it right, mate. You threw everything at us. We were under the cost from probably the 25th minute to half time, and then from probably the 75th minute. Because uh, when Whitfield comes on, we've gone 5-4-1 for a point, by the way. So we've gone, we've gone to sit in for a point and try and stop you for the 75th minute. So... We were over the moon with a point. Never mind three. So it's a good worst. <laughs> we were, as you can imagine, from the bench, we were buzzing. Well, that's <laughs> it's like, and, and and I agree. Like I said this, and it's we we do a live show on a Sunday where we kind of all fans of all clubs come on and yeah. speak and talk about like their game and what they thought and things like that. And I said in the game, I felt like we were the team that kind of controlled things for a lot of yeah. that game the the issue was and graham alexander said it in his interview obviously it's his first game he's, he's learning the squad we we were trying to score the perfect goal yeah um and if we'd just maybe taken that chance and know i've said it i think three or four times now with andy cook and obviously everyone in this league knows andy cook andy cook's a former barrow player we've got probably one of the most prolific scorers if you put a cross into the box yeah. and we 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 weren't doing that and if we had, maybe maybe it would have been different. But to hear you say that you went to that to to, to go for a point, and then you took all three, I I mean I I felt bad as it is. Um, I might some not go again. Some weeks it don't make. That's funny, isn't it? So yeah. it's, mm-hmm. I I would say that 
football's one of the industry, like in most jobs in life, process generally equals outcome, doesn't it? In most jobs in life, in professional sport, process rarely equals outcome. Rarely. Yeah. yeah. That's And like you say, you're making changes, but so are the other team. Yeah. You've only got control of 50% of what goes on on that field. And yeah, oh, that makes me feel so bad. Um, <laughs> well, you, you mentioned, so to sort of come in to the, obviously you're, you're at Barrow now, so we've, yeah. we've, we've done your journey, but to look at, sort of what's next for Pete Wilde, what, what you see as next. We talk about steps and you said like there was a three-year plan at Halifax. Obviously, no one knows when the Barrow journey is going to end because you, you're still, you, you're potentially still very early days in it. If things keep going well, then why would it why would it end? But questions that were sent in from people, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people at different clubs that want to know, yeah. <laughs> have you... Would you would you be coming to their club at any time? And one of them, which is, and I think it's a, I think it's pretty obvious answer. To be fair, before yeah. you retire, before you step away from football, would you like to manage Oldham Athletic? Yes, yeah, so, uh, as long as I move out of the town and I find a different <laughs> <laughs> living Barrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, never say never. I'd love to. Uh, like I say, when, when we don't have games, me and my lad still go. We go as fans. We go and sit in the stands. We. We'd love to go. Uh, we're very pleased we've got a new manager because we can start going again now. We had to spend six weeks not going because <laughs> we didn't want to get seen there. So <laughs> we're very pleased we've got a new manager. And yeah, this is older than the club. Oldham was always been a club. If there was one day that it, it, it worked out for both parties, then fantastic. Never say never. So this is going to be, we're not going to talk dates because it can be quite a. a People go like talking about dates where you've maybe spoke to yeah. other clubs and things like that previously in your career. We don't want people to go, well, he was speaking to this club, you know, he weren't ever fully committed because things happen in football and you, you'd been silly not to think that a manager's going to have conversations if, you know, a bigger club or a, a, a different opportunity comes up and things maybe aren't going the way that they want them to where they are. So, clubs that you've spoken to, are there any that you've turned down at any stage that you sort of look at and think, I wonder, what if, what if I'd not turned that job down? Or what if, let's say you maybe didn't get the job, what if I'd got that job? If something's maybe happened to a club and, you know, I, I think I think I'm right in saying you've maybe interviewed at Hartlepool at some stage. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that one, that that, that did happen because they, they got um, permission from Halifax for me to speak to them. Yeah, definitely. So do, do you ever look at those, obviously Hartlepool dropping out of the league and think, what would have happened if you'd have taken any of those positions? Are there any clubs that no one's ever questioned you on that you've actually spoken to? I mean, there's got to be, surely. Not everything gets leaked, surely. Yeah, well, I think, the, I think the, the, the first thing to say is that Barrow, were very, well, when we went to Barrow, um, we had a lot of options. Uh, well, well, I had a lot of options. Chris decided to stay at Halifax. So it's very a lot of options and the biggest thing is that uh, I'm only 39. I need to work. I've nowhere near paid the mortgage off, and I've got to need to work. So um, you need to be, you need to have that in your mind when you're thinking about what's next. Um, I wanted incremental rises, so to come back into League Two with a club that I wasn't expected to go and blow things away, uh, and then it go wrong, and then I'm I fall off the edge of the earth, and I can't afford that. I needed somewhere yeah. where it was an incremental rise and I could get my teeth into League Two and understand what it meant to be a League Two manager and how, and how it was to be a League Two manager. So I, the, they were strategies. 
the other thing obviously from learning from past experiences is i have to be uh at one with the owner or the people running the football club that we are moving in the right direction and the same direction that we will we ha- we have a chance to succeed with, with the with the resources that we have and we have pragmatic targets to to hit as a football club so i think they all have to come into to your thinking so you will get some conversations uh some wacky inquiries where you, you just say to me agent i'm not going there i've got a young <laughs> i've got a young family don't really want to leave the north or the northwest at the moment i, I appreciate it maybe one day i will have to but I, I don't really want to do that at the moment. Uh, so that comes into the conversation as well. Um, and I honestly can look you both in the eyes and say to you that when jobs have come or people have asked to talk to me, that as soon as I say no, I don't even think about it again. I don't, it doesn't even come into my thought process again. I, ha- you have, I think you have to be that clinical. I think you have to be that clinical mm-hmm. in life because if you dwell on the past, you can't change the past. If you think about the future, I got a clue. The three of us don't know what's going to happen when we come off this call today. We haven't got a clue, yeah. so don't worry about it. Just, just enjoy it. Just enjoy being here now. And Barrow, we have five-year deals at Barrow, and we're eighteen months into them five-year deals. And when we moved to Barrow, and they offered us new contracts after nine games, nobody else wanted us. So we uh, we were happy to sign them deals, and we were proud to sign them deals. So we have to honour them deals until such day that. A deal is put on the table to number one compensate bar- compensate Barrow. And by the way, I'm not thinking about going anywhere, but to compensate yeah, Barrow, yeah, yeah. Or, or to to really attract me and Adam away from the football club. And that that I'm all I'm trying to do is talk in sort of real pragmatic, real honesty to mm-hmm. you. That's they they they're my touch points. What I'd consider um, there's where we are at the moment and. We're loving life at Barrow. We are still learning. Me and Adam will always say to you that we are learning. We're still learning. We've got lots of things to get better at. We've got lots of things we need to be better at. Um, as of all the staff, the st- we have a, a phenomenal bunch of young staff at, at the football club and we're all learning. So whilst we're all learning, where's the fire? Where's the rush? Let's just get it right here. And then we'll have a prolonged career. If we start chasing things, you never know if you're going to have a prolonged career. No. You hit you hit the nail on the head there with the fact you you're still really young in the management game, aren't you? You've you've obviously done been in football for a long time, but 39 years old and managing in the EFL, like you say, it's kind of baby steps, isn't it? For you, you, you you're not looking for the leap; you're looking for the next step. You don't want to take three steps at a time because you could slip. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah good yeah. analogies. You don't run up the stairs. Yeah. You, no, you, you walk don't. up the stairs, yeah. unless I'm, unless my kids, my kids try and race me all the time. They've not won. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will race my children up the stairs, and I will win. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, you take those steps, don't you? You just look for the next, the next one, which you know, no one knows what's that's going, what that's going to be. And look, there's, there's obviously a chance that you could be 20, 30 years at Barrow. You know that that could happen. A five ninety for 20, 30 years. Wow. Can you imagine it? Can you drive on the A590 every year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and can you imagine by the end of it, Bradford still haven't beaten Pete Wilde? And that's the that's the upsetting. I'm still sat there going, he went 4 5 1 for draw there, and he's speaking again. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you say, you, you, you don't know what that step's going to be. You know, logically, you'd say it's going to come to an end at some stage, but the, that time will be the, the right time. 
the reason we did the I said to you on Saturday, and for anyone who doesn't know, people always ask us why we say Pete Wilde on, on Twitter. It it is nothing more than a, it was a joke. It was a Barrow fans were so and I think this kind of shows where Barrow were as a club. They were mm. so worried that any time a club lost a manager, you were going to be that person at the top of their list. And they were they were kind of used to being that club where if somebody wanted your manager, they 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 could just come and take it because they'd always been when in the EFL, especially they they'd been down at the bottom end, and you've taken them further up. So they thought he's going to be on radars, and you are on radars. Let's be brutally honest. You you pop up in the odds every single time a job comes up, and that is because, and that, well, that's why you don't go to games as much when there's jobs available, and <laughs> because you'll you'll get thrown in, and people will think that it's going to happen. But yeah, it, it literally became a thing of. Just, just randomly, just one day, just tweet Pete Wilde, and that—that's all it was. It was just, and just to see what happens. And within minutes, we'd have Barrow fans, but then we'd have fans of clubs who are looking for managers going, "Is it us?" Um, <laughs> at, at one stage, at one stage, and I've, I've no shame in saying we had Barrow players going, "What? What are you tweeting back? What's what's going on?" Like, no, no, we're joking. Like, there's nothing in it. It's. I remember being. Just... I was. I was off the other week, and there was a job came up. In fact, it was the Oldham job. I, I was off yeah. the other week. <laughs> oh right. And all the players were convinced they'd gone back to Oldham. And I was like, no, I told you I was off. I told you I wasn't in that day. I was on my coaching badges. Yeah. You all knew. So why do you think I was lying to you? I wouldn't lie to you. I, I think Oldham fans felt the same, though. Yeah, I, I think as well, mate. You look at these days, the, the, the contracts are so we got a five-year deal and we were over the moon. Um, but Barrow were over the moon with the financial package they got, should they? Yeah. After what happened with Ian and 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 how they lost Ian to Bolton, and I think Barrow are very savvy in in the financial deals that they've made, and that that mm-hmm. should give Barrow all Barrow fans a, be pleased that the club is ran by very good people and, and people who care about the football club who are doing the best on and off the pitch financially for the football club. So yeah, it's um, it's working for both parties at the moment. Yeah, we talked about pragmatism. That's a very pragmatic, sensible approach to to finances, but also, you know, to kind of protecting them in the future. Yeah, definitely. And everybody's got the price, haven't they? So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's there's not much I wouldn't do for money. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, of course. course. I think anyone who says that they're not money money motivated in some way and we have to pay the mortgage don't we if you pay your mortgage well i was gonna say like pete said we've everyone's got mortgages to pay yeah and you want to get it paid off quicker you know you know that's that's the thing it's in the current climate in the current yeah yeah interest rates we're going going off on interest rates now there we go we've gone from what what did we start dishwashers to mortgage interest rates um Look, we wouldn't have it any other. We call ourselves professionally unprofessional, and this just that sums it up. We've gone from dishwashers, <laughs> we've covered a bit of football in the middle, and now we're on mortgage yeah. interest rates. Um, a lot of football. It's an epic interview. It is. It is. Um, so one last one last thing from me. Then we we spoke right. on Saturday, and I, I mentioned to you, um, and I'm doing this on here because I want to, to see. I want you to to agree to this on here, so then you can't back out of it. On Saturday, <laughs> I said I I said to you that where. We wanted to bring back Soccer AM's crossbar challenge. Oh, because yes. we wanted to see. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. loved Soccer AM growing up. And yeah, yeah, what, what that entails is we we go to go to the club's training grounds and yeah. film. Uh, and really, let's focus on the EFL clubs because there's so many personalities in the lower leagues. Yeah. So Pete Wilde, I love saying that name. Do Barrow accept the 
crossbar challenge. Oh, 100%. Our lads would love that. Yeah, 100%. Yes, would. If, yes. you can keep, if you can keep George Ray away from the microphone, you've got a chance. I mean, he's got his own, basically Barrow's social media at the moment. He's George Ray. Oh, he's, 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 I'll give him a microphone. He just took a, oh, don't give him the last thing he needs. I give him a microphone. He can commentate on it. <laughs> yeah. he, can, he can be the commentator. We'll co commentate. Oh, wow. wow we'll unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. Yes, 100%, mate. You, you're more than welcome. We'll get that set up. Um, Hannah, have you got any more subjects that you want to cover? I genuinely feel that usually when we do these interviews, like we, we miss things. Um, but I I, I, I've ticked every box that I had. And this is. You do need to get Pete to look at the camera and say Pete Wilde. Oh, yeah. yeah just, just say, <laughs> go on, Pete. Just say Pete Wilde. Pete Wilde. Yes. That's the, that's the sound clip. That's it. Don't, we made Dom Telford do worse. Um, when Dom Telford signed for Crawley, yeah. they. Um, they had Crawley's like slogan is town team together. Yep. And the video was, it said town team. And then he looked up and went Telford. So when he <laughs> came on for an interview, I was like, you're doing lower league look. And he did it. And we edited it into the video and it's the worst video I've ever edited in my life. But, and this again, this is how I know that you've got that good set of lads within the club. He was so up for it. And yeah, such, yeah. He, he, I mean, he's from sort of the Clitheroe area, so kind of yeah, between yeah, where you train yeah. and up and up yeah. Barrow, where like he's got that northern kind of cheeky, chappy lad about him. Like, I've got so much time for someone like Telford Whitfield as well. Canavan scares me, like I say, but again, I but think he's all, phenomenal. All great lads. I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the culture and the um, the the, fun, the the funny when they come in in the morning, they're actually just really good to be around. They're really good people yeah. to be around and. You spend more time with the people you work with than your family, so they have to be good lads. And, and and the one thing we have got is a good set of lads. Yeah, and Paul Farman as well. I've, I've found yes. I've got a newfound appreciation. Um, glass. Glass annoyed ball. me with that save that he made on Saturday. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> again, go, no, no, I won't let that go. <laughs> I actually I messaged him because at full time he was leaving the pitch and there were a lot of Bradford fans at the side, obviously yeah. near the changing rooms, yeah. and they were shouting abuse at him and it. I, he, he just turned and smiled and went, thanks for coming. And, went to the room and I, I messaged him going, that. that was incredible. Like that was such a good way to handle it. And I said, but please never save a goal, a, a shot like that again. <laughs> like, because that was just ridiculous. But yeah. Just done 500 appearances. He's just done league appearances. Unbelievable wow. career. Yeah. And uh, one of our, main guys is a Lincoln fan and as soon as I said yeah. I'm speaking to Paul Farman he was like you get Paul Farman for me please like, <laughs> absolutely get so yeah Paul Farman's next we're gonna do it have a chat with him about his career and well yeah well look he might be the one that says you don't do that when you said when you're talking about how you let the lads know <laughs> I, I never have to let him down though do I? <laughs> yeah he plays every week <laughs> yeah, I don't have to let him down ever plays every week um well look genuinely I can't thank you enough for doing this this has been no, it's been awesome, like better than I think we ever thought it could be. Um, but yeah, I suppose there's not much else to say, is there, Hannah? Apart from what was it? Pete Wild. Pete Wild. Pete Wild. Guys, thank you very much for watching, and uh, we'll let you know when the next one's going to be. Thank you very much. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.